Let me invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 898. 898 in the pew Bible. Matthew chapter 13. The title of the message is, What is Your Destiny? We're talking about the destiny of everyone um, in this particular passage. And Jesus does so in a... uh, in not a high sort of academic way, but rather with a story, with a parable, with a story about a farm. Uh, and Jesus tells this parable to illustrate a truth about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God, and especially to say something about the way the human population is now and about the way it's going to be different in the future. So look at chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man uh, who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So, do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. So this landowner plants a field, and he plants his field with good seed. Yet when the crop crop sprouts, a crop of weeds sprout up with it. This was unexpected, at least to to the degree that the weeds came. It's confirmed that the seed that was used was good seed. It was pure seed. The landowner correctly then deduces that there has been sabotage involved. An enemy came when he wouldn't be detected. He sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he left before it could be discovered. Indeed, his actions aren't discovered until much later, uh, when it's uh, too late to neutralize the sabotage. So uh, the, the question of whether to take the weeds out now or later is discussed, and the landowner decides that the best course of action is to wait until the harvest, the reason being he doesn't want to damage any of the wheat in the process of taking up the weeds too early. Um, just as some background here, um, many think that Jesus is specifically talking about a weed that is referred to as darnel. Uh, darnel is a global weed. It's all over the world, and it's an ancient weed. Um, I looked it up on Wikipedia, that great easy encyclopedia. It says, Darnell usually grows in the same production zones as wheat and was a serious weed of cultivation until modern sorting, after the time of Jesus, until modern sorting machinery enabled Darnell seeds to be separated efficiently from seed wheat. The similarity between these two plants, between the wheat and the Darnell, is so great that in some regions, Darnell is referred to as false wheat. It bears a close resemblance to wheat until the ear appears. So the landowner says, the man who sowed the seed, he says, wait until the harvest. Let them grow together. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together. At harvest time, then, his plan is to instruct the the reapers or the harvesters 
to separate the weeds from the wheat. Take it all up together, but separate the weeds from the wheat. The weeds will be bundled and burned. The wheat will be stored away in the barn. Now, normally, with one of Jesus' parables, once we get to the end of the parable, we ask the question, what does this mean? What is the interpretation of the parable? But in this case, it would be a little bit foolish to start with the interpretation because this is one of those few parables that Jesus himself explains. So if you will, in Matthew 13, skip now to verse 36. Verse 36. Then Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us, in the field to us. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, that is Jesus. In other words, I'm the one who sows the seed. Verse 38, The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom, Anyone who has ears should listen. So in Jesus' um, explanation, we learn that this parable isn't just a homespun farm tale with a little bit of agricultural sabotage thrown into it. It's really a story about Jesus and the devil, about the present and the future, about heaven and hell, and about the whole human race. And yes, that means that you and I are in this parable or in this story as well. Jesus breaks, uh, we're going to, as we analyze this, we're going to break it up into two sections. We're going to look, first of all, at the present situation, and then later we're going to look at the future separation. The present situation. One of the things that this parable does is to answer a question about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of heaven. And that question is, where is it? (laughs) Why isn't it more obvious? And the the reason the Israelites or the Jews at that time would have asked this question is because Uh, John the Baptist, before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist went out preaching. He said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's here. And then when Jesus started his public ministry, he says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And during the course of his ministry, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come to you and the kingdom of God is among you. In other words, in my coming, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is now here. The kingdom of heaven is present. And the disciples and the Jews and the Jewish leaders, they look around and they say, really? Where is it? Where is it? One of the misconceptions that Jesus' disciples had was very common to most Jews at that time. They were looking forward to a coming kingdom of God, but their idea of the coming kingdom of God was a political kingdom. It was a visible kingdom. It was very tangible. It was very physical. They all knew the stories of the golden age of Israel when King David sat on the throne. And they knew that God had promised King David that one day in the future, one of his descendants would sit on the throne for eternity. And they were looking for that time, and they were looking for the restoration of that same kind of kingdom now that David had back then. The disciples believed this, and they had a hard time dislodging this concept of the kingdom from their understanding. So when Jesus preaches that the kingdom of God is now here, 
that it has come among you, the disciples and the Jews look around and say, where? Rome is still in control. The Jews are not even in control of their own politics at this point. Rome is control. They in control. They are in subjugation to Rome. They still pay their taxes to Caesar. They still pay them to the Jews too, but they pay them to Caesar. They're double taxed. Where is this kingdom of God? If the kingdom has arrived, why isn't it obvious? Why are it, where are its victories and its triumphs? Where are the trappings of the kingdom of God? And many Christians, whether consciously or subconsciously, might ask the same question today. Jesus says in verse 38 that the field, the field that he's talking about in this parable, is the world. The field is the world. Well, when we look around the world today, does it look like the kingdom of heaven to you? Does it look like the kingdom of God? Does it look like God has sovereign sway? Does it look like Christ is ruling from his heaven? The world looks like a mess. You look at the news. But Jesus says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who sows the good seed. So that means that the field is his field. Does the world look like Christ's field today? Depending on what you're looking at, you could say yes, but you could also very easily say no. Well, the kingdom of heaven, one thing that's helpful to remember is that the kingdom of heaven is like a sown field, a field that has been sown with seed. As a teenager, when I was a teenager, I worked on a farm uh, for six different summers, a vegetable farm. And when I first started working each spring, you know what I saw? I saw dirt. That's what I saw. You know what I worked with? I worked with dirt. The seeds were planted, but all I saw was dirt. Jesus says, the kingdom is now here. And his disciples say, where? But the kingdom wasn't very visible. The kingdom isn't very visible. As spring gave way to summer, plants broke the surface and they started growing up or growing out, depending on what happened. And then as summer deepened, then stuff became more obvious. It looked like, oh yeah, there's corn, there's melons, there's kohlrabi, there's cucumbers, there's zucchini and so forth. Then all the vegetables came forth and then we would harvest those vegetables. Now when the weeds popped up, we, 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 we weeded those weeds. We dealt with them. We weeded them out. And that was often my glorious job to take care of the weeds. I played agricultural defense. Sometimes with the tools provided and sometimes with just my, just these two weapons right here. <laughs> just with my bare hands. But the weeds in Jesus' story are particularly difficult. These weeds, the darnell, look like the wheat for a long time. Long enough to let their roots get tangled in with the roots of the weeds, uh, of the wheat, excuse me. So weeding will have to take place at the same time as the harvest. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. Verse 38 says, the field is the world. The kingdom of God has spread around the world. The kingdom of God has spread around the world. There are believers on every populated continent. But remember that the devil has sown weeds throughout the field. And so when you look at the world, you see a mixed crop, the good and the bad, the wheat and the weeds. So this is the present situation. Verse 30 says, let both grow until the harvest. Let both grow until the harvest. The weeds and the wheat are growing together in the world. That's the present situation. But then Jesus moves on to the future separation. The way things are will not continue forever. The way things are will not continue forever. Verse 30 again, let both grow until the harvest. Until the harvest. There is a harvest that is coming. The Son of Man, Jesus himself, will direct it. His angels will be sent and they will gather together all who are not of Christ's kingdom. 
They will be separated out from those who are of Christ's kingdom. There is a harvest coming, a day of separation, or in other passages, a day of judgment. So let's talk about the weeds and the wheat for a moment. This is where you and I come into the story. According to the parable, every human being is either wheat or weed. Either you are a wheat or you are a weed in Jesus' story. And I want to notice two contrasts. I want to point out two contrasts here between those who are like the wheat and those who are like the weeds. First of all, number one, they are of a different character. They are of a different character. The wheat, the people like the wheat, we told, we are told are, are the sons of the kingdom, verse 38. They are the sons of the kingdom. Verse 43, they are referred to as the righteous. They are those who fear God, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and who follow him, who love him, and who serve him. The people who are like the weeds, on the contrary, are the sons of the evil one, verse 38. They are guilty of lawlessness, verse 41. Or as another translation puts it, they live in defiance of the kingdom's laws, in defiance of God himself. They are those who either live in outright rebellion against God, or they are those who simply ignore God. The only connection any man or woman can have with God is through Jesus Christ. And these people who are like the weeds do not have that connection. They don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, no connection with God. Um, if we want to get away from parable language and just straight out uh, clear language, First John chapter 5, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus. The one who has the son has Life, eternal life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. The, the connection, the only connection between God and human beings can be found in Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2 talks about the fact that there is one mediator between God and mankind, between God and humanity, and that is in Jesus Christ. The weeds and the wheat look a lot alike in the early stages, but their true natures are vastly different despite their looks. There's a popular slogan today, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And I get the intent behind that, and I get what it's supposed to mean. Um, I get that we're not perfect, and I get that we're forgiven, but I don't like the word just. (laughs) I'm not perfect, just forgiven, because I think it glosses over uh, huge differences uh, between those who put their faith in Christ and those who don't. And the reason I say that is is because God has given those who have put their faith in Christ a new nature. There's a new nature. It's not like forgiveness has been slapped on to a person, but nothing's changed. There's been a change on the inside. There's been an internal transformation. person has been, as Jesus described it, born again. Okay, They've been transformed. Let me show you some verses here. Uh, Colossians 3.3. For you died, your old self. When you put your faith in Christ, your old self died and your life is now hidden with christ in god when you put your faith in christ you are no longer the old you you are a new you in christ romans 6 6 for we know that our old self was crucified with christ in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin second corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has gone The new has come. You have been ransomed out of the old way of life, out of the old nature. You have a new nature that seeks to please God. Yes, you are forgiven, but more than that, you have been transformed from the inside out. 
It's a process. It's a process. We're not perfect yet. We're not perfect yet, but it's a process. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, transforming you and prompting you and teaching you, and your soul is set on a different trajectory. None of these things can be said about those who do not actively believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous are the sons of God who are becoming more and more like God in their thinking and speaking and doing. The weeds, those, the lawless ones, the one, the sons of the evil one are becoming more and more unlike God in their thinking, speaking, and doing. We're all on roads. We're all on roads, two different roads. We're on two different trajectories. One is, is becoming more and more like God. The other is becoming less and less like God. So the first contrast between the wheat and the weeds in Jesus' parable is their character, the way he describes them. It's their inner nature. The second contrast has to do with their destinies. They have vastly different destinies. They have vastly different destinies. The weeds are destined for burning in the story. The wheat will be gathered into the barn. That's the language of the parable of the story. Jesus' explanation of the parable, again, is in verses 40 to 43. Let me just read those for you again. Jesus explaining the parable. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. There's a stark difference between the destinies of the righteous and the wicked, between those who follow Christ and those who ignore Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, he will bring angels with him and he will dispatch them to commence the judgment. Those who do not belong to Christ will be gathered up and eventually thrown using Jesus' metaphor, into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's he talking about? He's talking about hell. He's talking about hell there. He gives another description in chapter 25. Then he, uh, referring to Jesus, will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed. By the way, when he says those on the left, it's part of the story he's talking about. He's not talking about political affiliations, just to be clear there. <laughs> I know we think of the right and the left. But he's talking about, with regards to a story, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and they will go away into eternal punishment. As one writer puts it, Jesus here is promising painful punishment for those who do not put their faith in him. On the other hand, verse 43 says, the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Jesus is using language from the prophet Daniel. Prophet Daniel says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The righteous, the believers, the genuine Christians, all those who are believing on the Lord Jesus, they will be saved. They will be spared judgment. They are forgiven. They will enter into heaven. They will shine like the sun. The idea of shining like the sun alludes, alludes to different things. We talk about people glowing, for instance, glowing with happiness or glowing with joy. At the end of the age when Christ comes back, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, you will be established in God's kingdom. 
and you will shine with joy. You will be filled with joy. You will be happy to degrees that you have never experienced happiness on this earth. Even your capacity for joy and happiness will be expanded. And that capacity will be full and overflowing with joy and happiness. Um, No more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. The fact that the righteous will shine like the sun also refers to a biblical teaching called glorification. Romans 8, for instance, David mentioned Romans 8 earlier. Romans 8, for instance, talks about the fact that Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, will be glorified, will be glorified. What's that talking about? Well, for one thing, it's talking about our resurrection bodies. We will receive our resurrection bodies, bodies like unto Christ's. It refers to the perfection of our souls. It refers to being vindicated for our belief in Jesus Christ. It refers to receiving the inheritance that awaits us in heaven, that is promised us in heaven in various passages, such as 1 Peter 1, for instance. We Christians are not what we were, but it is also true that we are not yet what we will be either. The Holy Spirit is at work within us, shaping us and conforming us to the image of Christ. I mentioned earlier that we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in terms of our thinking and acting and doing. Um, When Christ comes back, that process will be completed. That's not to say that we will be indistinguishable from God. Obviously, there's a vast difference between the Creator and His creatures. But it is to say that in all of our thinking and speaking and doing, we will be pure and godly. We will be holy and righteous without the taint of sin, without even the taint of rebellion, without even the taint of evil. I tell you what, that's one of the things I look forward to most, I think, about the coming glorification of believers, about the coming of Jesus Christ, is the fact that I don't wrestle, with, that I won't wrestle with sin anymore in my own life. That I won't have these, uh, this, this little angel here and this little devil here telling me one thing and the other. I, I'm sick of the debate, you know, and that comes from my, and that comes from, uh, my flesh, my sinful nature. And I'll be glad when that debate's over and that perfection process is complete. First John chapter 3 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We're on a road. We're on a process. God is in us, transforming us. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, Jesus, because we will see him as he is. Those who are in Christ Jesus will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God, always filled with joy, always living each day in God-like and God-pleasing ways. The destiny of the wheat and the weeds could not be more stark. Heaven or hell, reward or punishment, shining like the sun or burning in the furnace, overwhelming joy, uh, over, yeah, overwhelming joy or overwhelming suffering. We don't, we don't see those stark differences now between the wheat and the weeds. Everything's, everything's mixed together. Let it all grow together. And the temptation is to think that everything will continue just as it is. It's easy to believe that there won't be an end to the age sometime after Jesus' death. In fact, the Apostle Peter had to deal with this in his letter, uh, in his second epistle. Nope, that's not where I wanted to go. Oh, yeah, I, I should have put that up. I'm sorry. The temptation is to think that everything will continue just as it is. Peter had to deal with this idea that some had that, you know what? Things have been this way for so long. Nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep on going the way it is. Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the creation. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Jesus isn't coming back. That's just 
You know, that's just some kind of uh, that's just some kind of slogan you guys, you Christians, hang on to. Peter says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will be burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed." Generations and generations of Jews had been hearing promises of a coming Messiah. And then he came. At a point in history, he came. The Lord Jesus came on the scene. Now generations and generations of Christians have heard and read the promises Jesus and his disciples made that Jesus is coming again. And the church has waited for centuries. But just because we've waited a long time doesn't somehow negate his return. It just means that we've waited a long time. That's what that means. Even as there was a moment in time when he came the first time, After centuries of waiting, so there will be a moment in history when he comes the second time after centuries of waiting. And when he comes, he'll have his angels with him, dispatching them to round up the weeds and gather the wheat. Another assumption that people make is that we'll be dead and gone before the end of the age comes, so whatever happens, you know, I won't be around for it. But the Bible teaches that all will be resurrected, all will be raised, all unbelievers, not just those who live at the time when Jesus comes back, but all unbelievers from time beginning will be raised from the dead for judgment. There will be a general resurrection, as Jesus teaches, for instance, in John 5. Jesus said, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. The way things are now won't last forever. The destinies of both the wicked and the righteous, as outlined in this parable, will be realized at the harvest, at the end of the age when Christ comes back. Your destiny, your destiny, each one in here, will be realized at that time. The question is, What's your destiny? What's your destiny? Are you destined for punishment or for reward? For everlasting suffering or eternal joy? Are you destined for heaven or for hell? The good news of Jesus Christ is that weeds can become wheat. The good news is that weeds can become wheat. This isn't true in agriculture, but it is true in anthropology. It's not true with plants, but it is true with people. That weeds can become wheat. We were all born into sin. The truth is we all start out as weeds. We all start out as weeds. We all inherit a sin nature from our parents who inherited, who inherited it from theirs, which extends all the way back to the first parents in the Garden of Eden. So we all start out as weeds, as sons of the evil one, as those who are guilty of lawlessness. But because of his great love for you, Because of his great love for you, God sent his own son to become human, to live a perfect sinless life, the life that we should have lived, and he lived it on our behalf, and then he died on our behalf. He died our death. He paid the price for our sins. He took the wrath of God against sins on the cross, our sins, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be given the gift of salvation. He paid the price for your sins, and now he offers you this forgiveness of sins that he has paid for. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of salvation comes from Christ. 
It's a gift, and it must be received. The gift of transformation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of uh, forgiveness, the gift of being destined, of once being destined for hell and now being destined for heaven, the gift of no longer being weeds, but instead being wheat. But it's a gift, and it must be received. How will you receive it? Will you receive it? How do you receive it? The only way to be forgiven your sins, the only way to become wheat, the only way to to be destined for heaven instead of destined for hell is to repent of your sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way is to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, trusting him for your salvation and seeking him in your life. If you haven't done that yet, why not? What are you waiting for? There is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be reconciled to God, the only way to become part of God's kingdom, the only way to become part of God's family. You can't save yourself. On that final day when you stand before the judge, on that final day when you stand before the judge, if Jesus isn't at your side, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You cannot get into heaven without Jesus. You need Jesus. As long as you are walking without Jesus, the road you are on only leads to hell. But Jesus has made a way for you to change your future. So make sure, if you haven't turned to him already, that you turn to him soon. Let's pray.